welcome to the Startup Brewery podcast, where we discuss all things relating to startups, open and growing breweries from concept to execution. We are pleased to partner with All About Beer to bring you this podcast. You're joining us today for episode 17, Operational Strategy to People. I'm Laura Lodge here with Candace Moon, and we're excited to welcome you to our ongoing podcast journey. As your hosts and founders of Startup Brewery, we both have extensive experience in our areas of specialty. Candace is the craft beer attorney, having worked with more than 500 brewery clients over time, and my background is a mix of distribution, event planning, and craft beer education. You can find more information about us and our contributors, plus a whole bunch of information and resources at startabrewery.com. To begin, we appreciate today's podcast sponsor. Hey, brewery owners, looking for an untapped revenue stream? With a flat parking lot and the Harvest Hosts network of over 250,000 RVers, you could bring in an extra ten dollars to $15,000 a year. The Harvest Hosts platform connects its members to small businesses for an overnight stay. As a host, you'll open up space for at least one RVer to park for the night. In return, members patronize your business. It's no cost to become a host, and you keep all of your new earnings. Learn more by visiting harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts. This will be episode 17, Operational Strategy 2, People, still speaking from the place of building your business plan, and today taking a look at the key people who make up your brewery team. Who are they? How did you find them? And how much of a voice do they have in the direction and decision-making for your business? To break this down, let's begin with the most basic question. As the owner, or one of the owners, how much can you do yourselves? This brings in your skill set, the other responsibilities you carry outside of the business, and ultimately how many hours there are in a day. Once you think through and determine the position or positions you want to hire, then how much responsibility are you delegating to these positions? And how much input and decision-making would you want these people to contribute to the team? How do you keep everyone engaged and on track? Episode 17 continues the general topic of operational strategy, following episode 16, which focused on systems. Nancy Trigg of Trigg Performance Collective, Ethan Tsai, PhD, Brewing Operations Consultant, who is part of creating the Brewing Operations Program at Metro State in Denver, and Mary Bretman of Beverage Business Builders discussed brewing, taproom, and accounting systems. Their conversation included both the philosophy and the mechanics of the systems behind the scenes, and it's a great listen. So today we're all about people, and I'm really interested to hear stories and learn new approaches from our guests. So today we have with us Matt Hughes, USI Insurance, and an original co-founder brewmaster for Goldspot Brewing Company, and Larry Chase, the great game of business certified coach, formerly chair of the Brew Pup Committee for the Brewers Association and brewmaster for Standing Stone Brewing Company. Welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Brewmaster, you gave me a, uh, that's a little bit of a, uh, of a promotion there, so. Oh, you got a race. <laughs> you, well, you get you thank Laura for that. She gave me that info, which actually brings me to um, taking a couple of minutes. If each of you want to um, tell us about uh, yourselves and your background um, in the in the beer industry or or related, actually. So, Matt, let's start with you. Sure. So. Um... As uh, as Candace mentioned, I'm with USI Insurance. I've so I've and I've been in some capacity in commercial insurance for the past 18 or so years. Uh, but during that time, uh, I've had the uh, the privilege to work with uh, probably closing cl- closing in on a hundred different craft breweries. Uh, probably, probably not quite that many, but it's 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 uh, it, it definitely seems like it. Um, and uh, during that time, I was exposed to uh, to uh, Wincoop Brewing Company. Uh, who was a client of mine, uh, whenever I uh, took a brief hiatus from the insurance world, uh, I joined forces uh, with uh, some of my fellow brewers that are still operating here in Denver at Wincoop Brewing Company uh, with the idea that I would get a little bit of uh, just industry knowledge uh, that would uh, benefit me in my uh, insurance and risk management career down the road because I really wanted to continue working with craft breweries. Um, I was right about that. It gave me a lot of uh, insider information about uh, uh, about the world of, of of beer and how it relates to insurance. Uh, but what I was wrong about was the amount of time that I would be spending uh, op- operating breweries. Uh, I fell in love with the industry. 
I uh, ended up opening up my own brewery called Gold Spot Brewing Company that I, uh, along with my partner, operated for about five years. Uh, we sold it about four years ago now. Um, uh, but and, and since then, uh, and, and, and during the, 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 my time at Gold Spot, I continued to work uh, with uh, craft breweries around the country on their insurance needs and their risk management needs. Awesome. Larry, tell us about your background. Yeah, so t today in the brewery world, when uh, when owners want to figure out how to get everything that is in their head and get away from the feeling that they have to do it all, that's where I come in and help them because we, we help to create an ownership mindset in their employees so that the owner doesn't feel like he or she has to do it all. And I got here to do doing this uh, after 23 years as a brew pub brewer. And it was over those 23 years that I, I've always had an interest in financials and I've always had an interest in how do you create healthy companies, healthy cultures. And so throughout my time as a brew pub brewer, I've been through both companies that have had good cultures, companies that have had really bad and toxic cultures. And so from my time of serving on the brew pubs committee with the BA, the finance committee with the BA, uh, and making a lot of connections throughout the beer world, um, I've, I've really come around to finding a way that I can help brewers now uh, really amp up their game and make their companies better uh, by you know, really creating that ownership mindset, that ownership culture within uh, an organization. Awesome. Okay, so let's jump into the meat for today. So I'm probably going to ping pong back and forth since there's only two of you. Um, Perfect. That's okay. Okay, Absolutely. so back to Matt. So lead yeah. us off. Um, when you were uh, opening and in the planning stages of opening Goldspot, what was your, or how was your owner and key management positions, how were those lined up? Did your plan include hiring for management positions outside of your ownership team? And did any of that change over time? Yeah. So uh, whenever we started Goldspot, there were, there, there were two of us, uh, two, two principals, myself and my partner, uh, my partner, Alex. Uh, Alex is, uh, was and still is a, a, a brilliant financial mind. Uh, he's, he's a CFO of a, a pretty good size consulting firm. Uh, he, he was then and still, and still is now. So he was definitely the person that was going to be handling uh, all of basically all things money. Uh, and, uh, it, and it fell to me to handle all things operations, whether that was from we, we were a, a small brewery that was going to be selling most of its beer off of its out, out through its own faucets. Uh, so I was in charge of at first with the, of, of the employee operations. But also the beer making operations and making sure that everything was brewed the right way and conditioned the right way and packaged the right way. Uh, our business plan, uh, the, the the first hire that our business plan called for was bringing someone in to manage the tap room for us, because um, both of us were maintaining our our, our our day jobs and there's just not not enough uh, not enough hours in the day to uh, to manage all of that stuff. So our, the, the first uh, promotion that we made, was we, we, we didn't hire for the position. We, we, we hired a, a several taproom employees. Alex and I managed them for the first, call it a month or two. Uh, but we promoted Ryan uh, to, uh, to handle the day-to-day -day employee issues, the, um, the, the, the hiring of new employees, the scheduling of new employees. Uh, and, and then my focus went, went back solely on the, uh, on the back of house while he handled the front of house. Okay. Um, anything beyond? So were those the uh, managed positions that kind of stayed through the life of the, the business or did you end up bringing on other people down the road? They did, so for, for, uh, for the most part, those, those were the, 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 the positions that we, as far as management positions go. Uh, about a year and a half into uh, to, to operating the brewery, we, we hired a, a young lady named Calissa Heber to come in and serve. She, she was going to be a taproom server, but she, the, her, her main focus was going to be working in the cellar. So 
uh, working alongside me uh, in the brew house, uh, helping to take some of that off of my plate. Uh, but the idea was ultimately to make her into a brewer. And so we had to figure out like, okay, how, how, do, how do we do that? It wasn't necessarily a management position, but it was obviously a very, very important position. Uh, throughout the, uh, the, 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 throughout the building of Goldspot and, 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 and the, the initial stages of operating the brewery in the back, I had established the, um, or the, the, the SOP for a brew day, uh, basically. And the, the, the training for Kalesa was to, was to shadow me during the, uh, during the brew days, but I wanted her to write her own SOP. Uh, cause I, I didn't think that just by following my SOP was something that would, um, um, really re lead her to, to true understanding and true learning how to operate on the, on the system. So, uh, th over the course of several, uh, several months of, of a couple of months of shadowing me in the brew house, she came up with her own SOP and made it even better than, than the, the, than the document that, that, um, that, that I'd come up with. Uh, and I think, uh, and Larry, you, you probably can, can, can relate to this, uh, operating as well. Those, those SOPs are living documents, uh, and they, they continue to change, uh, over the years where, as you become more familiar with the equipment, uh, with, with new technologies and with, with, with new techniques, uh, and Calissa, uh, taking, taking the reins of, of that and running with it, uh, really helped to improve the, uh, the back of house operations and ultimately the quality of the beer. Great. Laura, did you want to say something? Oh, all good. Just nice. Nice Sorry. to hear and understand kind of how it evolves. Definitely. So Larry, in your experience with brew pub owners and, and brewers that you've, you know, visited with when you were in the brew pub committee, what did you generally find to be best practices um, and or, you know, the Achilles heel in terms of hiring, decision-making, delegation, and management? There's a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what, what, I'm going to focus on the Achilles heel first. And probably the biggest one, and I, it probably doesn't matter what organization you're in, is that it's that lack of communication and how when you're really small organization when you first start up and there's maybe only three or four or five people you can usually get by pretty well without any kind of formal setup for how are we going to communicate with each other but once you start growing beyond that um, the lines of communication get really complex if you don't somehow formalize it I just saw a graphic the other day, I think on LinkedIn about when you have three people on a team, right? There's, there's literally only three routes of communication, but you go to four people and now there's, I think, six routes of communication. And before long, you get up to 10 people and all of a sudden you're into, I don't know, 70 or 80 routes of communication that could happen by, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. So figuring out how to communicate with people is really important um, to move forward. Uh, there's a, uh, Patrick Lynchoni uh, does a lot of work. You should look him up, the table group. He looks does a lot of work on uh, organizational health. And he'll talk about the role of a CEO or owner of an organization, that your role is really to be the chief reminding officer that what you need, it's really important for what you to do is to continually remind people about where you're going, what you're doing, and how you're going to get there, and the values of the organization, and, and to do that. So lack of communication is the Achilles heel, right? On the other side of that, though, when you can create a really good method and means of keeping people informed, you know, that, that works really well. Uh, and goes a long way. Getting to a meeting rhythm. A lot of times people eschew meetings, yet meetings when done well, in terms of creating actionable items and making decisions and solving issues and done on a regular cadence uh, can be fabulous for how you really create structure and move things forward in your organization. Uh, just one quick thing on, on the hiring best practice is that it's actually at Standing Stone where I worked with 
uh, for about eight years. When they they had every Saturday, they it was essentially a cattle call. So when they would put their ads in, it was show up on Saturday morning at uh, 11 a.m. And they would have groups of anywhere from a couple people to sometimes 10 or 12 people would show up. And it gave the people leading that an opportunity to share about the company, tell people who Standing Stone is, and really help people understand that if you come to work for us, this is what it's going to look like. And then it gave people a chance to ask questions back and to start to create a little bit of conversation. Uh, and then people could fill out an application and leave it, or they could choose not to leave an application. And it was really effective for kind of that very first way to identify who somebody might be a rock star for you, but also a way to identify people who eh, don't aren't going to be a good fit. If they're not willing to show up at a specific time for the very first thing, you've already weeded somebody out. Um, and so it was really effective uh, in terms of a hiring practice um, to help get people into the pipeline. Interesting. Laura? Did, did you have people from kind of all throughout the company that were part of that process of kind of being there to meet people that first day or part of like kind of a vetting process or was it mostly just a specific person that was responsible for all that? Yeah, it was mostly a few of the management team, mostly front of the house uh, management team. To your point, Laura, that would have been, it would have been great to have some back of the house people there too. Um, and and I think they would do a short tour of the facility so they'd get to see some people working. But yeah, having additional people involved in that would, would be good. Okay. Um, Matt, given all the breweries that you've worked with, do you see a pattern of key roles that are not filled or not filled well that can really hamper a brewery's growth and success? Wow. Um, yeah. So most of the breweries that I work with uh, that, that I've had the, the privilege to work with are small to medium sized operations. <clears throat> so the people that are missing is, is, uh, is, is there's a plethora of them. You know, you, you don't have you're, you're not filling roles like uh, HR. You're not filling roles like safety. Uh, so so you, you have to have some type of a, of a um, of, of, of a network that you can rely on to give you good information. Um, my, I, I, my, my role as a, as, as a producer in the insurance world requires me to talk to a whole lot of different people. Uh, and, and because of that, I've been able to build out this pretty great network of, um, of influential people and, 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 and mentors that, that I can trust to, to, to give me good advice as to where to go. So I, I, I think, one of the things that's that's really missing from from these small to medium sized operators are either a board of directors or some strong mentorship role that can help these people or these to help these operators make the right decisions to help them keep their finger on the pulse of where the industry is and where it's going. Uh, I, I I know whenever I started uh, Goldspot almost a decade ago. Um, there were uh, a lot of my peers that whenever they were starting their breweries, they had these very specific ideas of what that business was going to look like. You know, we're going to be uh, a neighborhood tap room. We're never going to package beer ever uh, as, as long as we, as we're in existence. Uh, and fast forward, you know, five, six years, throw a pandemic in there and all of a sudden people are having to pivot and, and, and change their course of action. So I think one of the most important uh one of the most important roles that, 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 that can be filled is that of a, of a small board or a, some type of a mentor that has been in the industry, that has been, uh, that has been in business, knows how to make uh, hard, tough decisions, knows how to make strategic decisions and think critically. Uh, having, having someone like that in your back pocket, I think, is, uh, is, 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 is very, very important to, to, uh, to, a, to a brand new operator. Awesome. Um, Larry, <laughs> uh, as a management team member at Standing Stone, how do the owners and managers share information and make decisions? 
So were, were, were there some areas of hiring, leadership, team management, budgeting, financial planning that were made as a team? Um, were the, are these individual decisions? That kind of thing. Yeah, it was, you know, I was talking about communication earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is probably one of those areas where, it, you know, Standing Stone didn't do so great at, um, especially coming from the operating owner. You know, we would have our weekly manager meetings, yet they were not very good meetings, as I recall, because there'd be a lot of conversation that really went nowhere. Um, but in terms of decisions being made, it felt like a lot of times decisions were bigger decisions were made by the the owner operator, the two of them. And sometimes they'd get filtered down to the rest of the staff and but a lot of times not. Uh, so uh, you know, we we didn't, as far as I'm no, we didn't have any kind of a budget. We we would sit in managers' meetings and we would see the PL and that there was no budget related to that. So we didn't know, are we actually performing the way that we want to? Uh, and I think maybe they had a cash flow projection that they would do, but that was never shared generally with, with the management team. Uh, one of the things that uh, was, you asked about, they gave us a lot of autonomy. Right. So there was definitely that. And that's one of the things that we as humans uh, that that gives us drive is that we want autonomy to be able to go and do things on our own. And part of the challenge that I saw at Standing Stone is that there was a lot of autonomy without many guidelines. So definitely give people autonomy, but you got to define for them. Here's the guardrails that is good to stay within. And is that, are those guardrails related to your values? Are those guardrails related to the, the, the plan that you're trying to achieve or where you want to be in three or four or five years um, and having those conversations on a regular basis to help people understand um, that, yeah, it's okay for you to make these decisions and it's okay for you to step out and, and do good things. However, you got to do it within this, these guardrails here. Um, and again, there's a lot in that uh, question. <laughs> so I, I could probably go on and on and on, but uh, we'll, 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 we'll leave it there for now. Okay. Uh, Matt. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Larry, you, you, you mentioned something that kind of hits home with me about meetings and, and having, a, having those scheduled meetings, but not necessarily having those meetings be very good. What, in, in 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 your your coaching, uh, and I don't maybe you, you you don't go into this in your in your books, but what makes a good meeting? How how do you how do you get the most out of those meetings as you possibly can? I think it really depends. I mean, it's it's a bigger picture thing. So that there's the the way I see it is there's a bit of a meeting cadence, and part of that cadence starts off with. Uh, what what's what's your what are you looking to accomplish in the next 90 days or what do you want to accomplish in a year's time and some of that happens at what would probably be considered off-site meetings uh if you're going to plan the next make sure you're heading in the right direction for the next quarter there's an off-site that helps set up what's going to happen on a daily and weekly basis and i'll start with a daily huddle it is really really helpful if uh, teams departments, uh, a management team can meet for literally no more than 10 minutes. And it's a check-in to say, here's what's happening today. Here's what I see happening in the next 24 hours. Um, this is what I got going on. Here's where I'm stuck. Here's some of the challenges that are in front of me. And if you give everybody a chance to share that on a daily basis, it starts to cut down on the the interruptions that can happen throughout a day. But over that week's time of these daily huddles, you've now started to realize, oh, here's a bigger issue that we must address at a weekly manager's meeting or a weekly department meeting. And having a structure of starting off with, I, I like to do good news 
everybody share a piece of good news, both personal and business. It starts the meeting off positively. Um, do a review of what's going on over the huddles and, and bring that out of things that need to be attacked and talked about. And then really get in and solve the issues, have the conversations. And here, but you got to be careful you don't get on a tangent, right? Because tangents will kill the conversation. So have a method that uh, maybe it's just somebody saying the word tangent out loud, right? Um, and then when you're when you've made some decisions about solving issues, you know, do a do a www who what and when physically literally write down who is going to do what and by when. Um, so that you walk away knowing action items that are going to happen uh, and, and wrap it up with, uh, you know, can you either rate the, you can rate the meeting, you know, zero out of 10, have everybody say, you know, what, what are you after? You, you're probably looking for one at eight, nine or 10 there, or have people give a, a, a short phrase, a one word or short phrase of, uh, their experience of the meeting, because you, as a leader, when people start to do that, you're going to start to understand how the meeting's going, what people thought. Uh, so those are just some, a few things to help create better meetings that are actionable nice. and, and help move a company forward. Nice. Like it. Laura. Um, I, I picked out a different piece, Larry, and I wanted to take your guardrails a little bit further I was uh, I worked for a restaurant up in Beaver Creek in Colorado for some time and also had an experience where our my manager was giving us a lot of autonomy. It sounds like Standing Stone did that to a great degree, which I think is probably very progressive for that time. And being able to see the P&L, um, I don't know that I've worked for a company who allowed that straight up um, over my experience. But what I was going to say is um, we had all this autonomy but we really never had a sense of whether the ownership felt like we were doing a good job. And I remember saying at one point, I remember saying, so are we going to have like an annual meeting, like review thing? And the response was, uh, do you really think you need one? And I said, well, yeah, I kind of need to know if I'm on the right track. Like, am I doing okay? Um, and I, I think that that's important too, on some level that that's still that communication piece at the highest level of, of yes, you're on the right track. No, I'd like you to correct a little bit here. And I think that that's super important too. And we we lose that sometimes. Oh, very much so. In fact, the Gallup, Jim Clifton, uh, they've done a lot of work on employee engagement. Jim has shared that the number one thing that a manager can do is to have once a week with each of your direct supports, First of all, think of your people as direct supports, not reports, because it's your role to support them and what they do. But have one meaningful conversation with them a week because you can ask them what are their goals? What are their aspirations? What is getting in the way of them doing their job? How can you support them? What barriers can you remove? I, and then even think you could go, there's a lot of times there's stay interviews, a lot of questions. You can look it up on the online. You'll find a bunch of questions you could ask to to help people stay, have those conversations once a week. It comes back to the communication. It comes to back to what you talked about, Laura, of, of developing people, which is what this episode is about. Uh, and it's, you, you gotta have those conversations on a regular basis um, for those guardrails to help people have that autonomy and, and to develop them and let them know, here's the direction we're going. And cheerleading is so important. Oh yeah, totally. Sure. Yeah. So I want to pull back for a minute here because um, I want to I want to touch I want to make sure we touch on um, kind of the key positions, key management positions, because um, that is a part of the business plan when you're writing it. So, Matt, and, and I think to some extent you touched on this, but just to, I guess, um, clarify what would you say are the key management positions that need to be thought about and planned for when you're planning that that brew when you're planning your brewery so uh you know i i, I mentioned the financial mind that my partner alex had so we were really fortunate that we that we came to the table 
having that expertise already under our roof. Um, I, I, I got to think that some type of, uh, 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 I mean, we're, 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 we're assuming that the, that the beer is going to be good, right? I mean, like that, that, that there's. Well, <laughs> not what well, I mean that not everyone opening a brewery has a brewer or is a brewer. So yeah, I mean, you, they well, may it, need to hire or plan for a brewer. Right. So in, in, in that case, you've got to, you've got to figure out who's making your beer. Uh, you know, I, I, I had, uh, professional brewing experience, uh, that, that, that I, I built up at my, t- my time at Wincoop. And so I was comfortable operating a brewery on the scale that, that we were operating on just a, a seven barrel brew house. Uh, but if you don't have that, that's, I, that, that's, 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 that's where it starts without once, once you have that, that, that part settled, the, having some type of a, of a forward looking person to look at your finances and understand where the, where the business is going, I think is, is the second most important position. And if you don't have that, then uh, sourcing that out through a fractional CFO, I think is, is a, is a very, very important thing. You, you want somebody who's doing it more than just, you know, balancing your books at the end of every month. You want somebody who can look at those numbers and, kind of read the tea leaves as to like as to, to what's going on and help you formulate a plan as to what the path looks like going forward for your for your brewery um does that answer the question i i i i i, I think that the finance portion is the most important outside of having good beer <laughs> you don't have good beer it's not going to matter where those finances go because there's just there's not going to be there <laughs> so brewer well, you know what finance and then is there I'll throw it to tap, Larry. Tapper manager. Yeah, Larry. Yeah. What you got? In terms of the what what positions? Mm-hmm. Well, so yes, in the sense of what when you are writing a business plan for opening a brewery, what are those key positions, the key management, whether the owners can fill them or whether they need to find someone to fill them or outsource them. What are those key positions or key responsibilities? Maybe I don't, you kind of can lump responsibilities under a different title, but that, that need to be addressed and thought about. My, my, you know, I've, I've never written a business plan, but just based on my experience, I would, I would, what what Matt did and talked about earlier when when they were opening their breweries, having somebody who knows operations and if it's if you're gonna have a tap room, it's two operators, right? It's the operations in the brewery and it's the operations at the tap room because they're entirely different businesses. Uh, and then having that financial person uh, again, whether they're on set two breweries, they're usually two startups are usually too small to have a, a full-time or maybe even a part-time, right? So that's something you outsource uh, perhaps. Uh, and I would, I would suggest HR as well, just from the legal side of things. And today you can outsource that too, and you can get a fractional HR person, um, a brewery I'm working with right now. Uh, they, they do that and it, own, they've got 12 people on their team. Uh, the the person they hired it, it it paid off well because of an issue they had in the previously this year to have a professional HR person um, just on the legal side of things. Uh, so Laura. Um, I would submit too, thinking, thinking brew pubs, Larry, I was thinking for the food side of things, if you've got a food side of things, oh, sure, I think there needs to be a person that's dedicated to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Restaurants are beast. Yeah. <laughs> so to have a taproom manager is, is probably not enough to make the taproom manager also be fully responsible for all the food side of things. Although I'm sure it's stretched to accommodate in cases. And I will say too, on on the on the oh, HR, ahead, I was going to say on the on the HR side, uh, you know, many, not just breweries, but you know, a lot of uh, companies that I work with that are on the smaller side, don't have that that dedicated HR person. Through uh, your insurance broker, uh, depending on uh, how how um, uh, savvy they are, 
you may be able to access some uh, some uh, HR uh, functionalities through yeah. that insurance brokerage, especially if that insurance brokerage has an employee benefits arm. Uh, so always ask your insurance broker, uh, not just for, for insurance stuff, but they may be able to help you out on the HR side. And, and now a lot of this stuff is going to be, I, I know, I know Candace loves templates, but it's, it's, it's going uh, <laughs> to, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it, it'll be guideposts as to how to, how to, how to run HR. Uh, anytime that you, that you have a, a template, don't, don't use it just, um, you, you, you want to run a lot of that stuff by your attorney first before you put it into practice because uh, some of those things can be outdated, but th there, there are ways to, um, to access HR through, uh, th through insurance brokerages. Nice. Yeah, I, I will add as, as the attorney here. Um, I actually love templates as long as they are quality and sure. yeah. current and apply in your state that's the, the biggest problem with templates is that uh you need to make sure it works for where you are and i will also say that is the biggest issue in hr is making sure that whoever's providing your hr services understands your state now that also comes from me being california which has the craziest the craziest state uh, yep. employment laws and is very easy to screw up um but but I, 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 you guys definitely helped to answer the question. So I mean, I, from my experience, what I say is you definitely have to have somebody who's looking at the business side and whether that's a CFO. And again, a lot of times you're talking to owners and, you know, that, you know, can hire for these, but I think, you know, brewing the business um, and, you know, actually, and I'll just say whether it, you know, Top room, obviously, and then someone running the people, whether you want to call that HR or, you know, someone who's just managing all those moving parts. Um, like a general so. manager type of person? It, yes. And again, that could be one of the owners. I mean, I'm not suggesting mm -hmm. that a startup needs to hire all these positions by any means. Just that they're things that I think that need to be thought through and addressed certainly when planning their business out is who's going to manage all this stuff. And as, as I explained to all my startups, you have one owner and think that that's going to be sufficient. And I'm like, well, <laughs> and I, I, I'm like, you just can't do that. And they're like, no, I can, I have experience. I can do this and this. I'm like, yes, but there's only 24 hours in a day. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not that you can't do it. You don't have time to do it all. Anyway. Why don't we take a short break here for our sponsor message? Have you heard of Harvest Hosts? Brewery owners offer up a space for RVers to park for the night. In exchange, the Harvest Host member patronizes your business. All members have self-contained RVs, so no hookups or water are required from a host. There's no cost to become a host, and you keep all the money spent on site. Visit harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts for more information. Okay. So jumping back in, um, Matt, back to you. Sure. So with a one or two person ownership uh, partnership, almost surely needing additional management team members, how do you recommend owners finding those key managers? So recruit from people who've already worked at breweries, friends and family, those with food and beverage experience, or you know, train people up on your systems in your own way. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'll speak from my own personal experience. So um, I, I think that look, looking back on, on Goldspot, the two most important people in my life uh, are people that, 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 that as, as a brewery owner was my taproom manager, Ryan, and was my brewer, Calissa. Um, and, and both of them came from, um, came from the beer world already. They had some, some type of experience. Uh, in, in the brewery world, there's still required, at least for uh, for Calissa, on in, in the on the beer side, it required it still required some training because, you know, she had um, she had had a role where she was responsible for the production of work on her own. So we had to go that route. Um, as far as recruiting family, I'd say no, don't 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 do that. That's that's uh, in my experience and and and. and from, from, from watching other operators that that's, that's just typically just been not the, the, the greatest experience. Um, people ask about volunteers. Don't do volunteers. That's, that's, that's a horrible idea. 
the people that are they're working for you should be paid employees uh, for for a, a whole host of reasons. Um, but yeah, I, it, it, it kind of depends on the on the the sophistication. I guess maybe the age of the operation. Uh, I, I think of my my friends over at uh, Ratio Beer Works, for instance. You know, they're they're a rapidly growing brewery. They're adding uh, more staff, and I can't imagine that they would ever put out a, um, uh, a, 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 a a posting for a position and have that person that they hire be somebody who doesn't come with some type of an ex of, of of experience. If um, you're in an operation like Gold Spot, where I was the the one who was uh, going to be there for you know a lot of the operating day and have the the, the bandwidth to to train someone up, that's a that, that's a different story. I think in 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 that instance, what you want to surround yourself with uh, is smart people. Uh, you, you can't have enough smart people. You can't have enough people who are who are able to to, to think for themselves, ask you ask you questions that challenge you. Um, uh, ask you questions that kind of help push the, the 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 organization forward. That's that that I think is um, is, is probably relevant for for all, uh, all all operators. And the way that you find these people is being really involved in the community in the beer community. Um, I, I was lucky enough to sit on boards for a couple of universities that had beer programs, and that exposed me to. Uh, a lot of operators uh, going and, and visiting with these operators at their at, at their breweries that exposed me to their employees, and that's not to say that I was that that you use that as a, as an opportunity to poach employees, but people move around, and 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 if if you if you know those people, if you if you're tied into that community, then you may hear about that before uh, before anyone else does, and that gives you a chance to hire, I think, some of the the, the best and smartest people that you can get your hands on. Awesome. Okay, Larry, in your personal experience and with the great game of business, how much decision making, budgeting and financial planning for the business has traditionally been done by just the owners or just the CFO? And what would you recommend as best practices around ownership, management, staff collaboration for success? I think the short answer is that uh, in terms of what's traditionally been done, it's it's usually one or two people. It's it's the owner. It's the uh, maybe whoever an accountant might be uh, with them, whether it's an outsourced accountant or somebody on staff. But that's usually what what it is. Um, I know when I was Granite City Food and Brewery, um, I, I when I was managing our our production facility uh, for 26 restaurants, I got involved in helping write the budget for my production facility, which was my own little business. Um, uh, but I didn't get a lot of teaching about that. And so when I think about best practices, um, it's it's back to what you talked about, Laura. Of you know, you never had a place that anybody even shared the PL with you. Right. And if you do go and share financials with employees, uh, then you have to teach them about it. You can't just you can't just give it to them because they don't know what it means. And then frankly, there's a lot of owners who don't even know what it means, right? And I think sometimes that's one thing that holds them back from even sharing the financials because they themselves don't even really understand it. And it takes vulnerability to step out and say, hey, I don't quite get this either, yet we're going to learn together and I'm going to teach you what I know and we're going to figure it out. But once employees start to understand some of the financials and you can show them a direct line of sight to how what they do every single day in their role the decisions they make, the actions they take impacts the success of the business from a financial standpoint, there is huge engagement that happens there. And then especially if you take it a step further and you start to offer a stake in the outcome. So when that success does happen, they get rewarded for it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, So from a best practice point, yeah, share the financials, teach them about it, and then help them see that direct line of sight. Gotcha. Okay. So I think we're kind of getting close. 
on time. And I want to give you guys a chance to give us kind of your um, best, best advice, best guidance um, for people who are either opening a brewery or looking to raise the bar um, on, on the people aspect. So Matt, we'll jump back to you. What, what would be your words of wisdom? You know, the, the, the most rewarding uh, thing that the, the most rewarding thing to me in, in, in operating gold spot was seeing uh, my employees succeed uh, in spite of the tools that I've provided to them. Uh, they, <laughs> but uh, see, seeing Calissa uh, put together that SOP and seeing Calissa make, uh, make uh, Cutter IPA better than I ever made Cutter IPA. Uh, seeing the uh, the front of house staff um, run very lean because of the decisions that Ryan made uh, and, and, and the practices that he that he uh, put in place was really really rewarding and that wouldn't have happened if I had lorded over them and made sure that things were done my way uh, I was I I had uh, myself and my and, and my partner both had an open mind. When it came to uh, allowing them to uh, to forge their own path, and the brewery was better for it. Um, so I'd, I'd I'd say both in terms of personnel and in terms of just overall operations, I think you got you you've got to keep an open mind, especially these days. Uh, it's it's getting it's it's rough out there. Uh, a lot of my clients are having uh, some of the, the the biggest headwinds they've ever faced since they've been been open, and being able to to pivot in a direction that you didn't think you would, you, you would go in is, uh, is very, very important right now. Gotcha. Larry. I would echo what you first started with Matt in terms of that, you know, seeing your people succeed. One of the, you, as an owner, as a, as a founder, you cannot do it yourself. I, you mentioned that earlier, Candace, there's not 24 hours in a day. You cannot do it all yourself. You need a team to help you do it. So your role as an owner, as a leader, is really to develop your people. That's what your true role is. And that's where you see that success in your people that you talked about, Matt. You know, go out and learn how to be a coach. It's not difficult. In fact, I'd highly recommend you go get uh, Michael Bungay Stanier's book, uh, The Coaching Habit. Seven questions in there that are pretty darn easy to uh, get and figure out. And when you're having these weekly conversations with your people, become a coach to them and, and help develop them. Because when you do that, they're gonna grow leaps and bounds. They're gonna appreciate it. You're gonna get that employee engagement and they're gonna help you take your brewery where you really want it to go. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm gonna, as a lawyer, I'm gonna throw in my, my words of wisdom when it comes to and it's for key management positions and thinking about who you really need I, I would my piece of my there is just be very very cautious on who you hire which leads into my general legal employee advice which is slow to hire quick to fire so um mainly because i've seen so many of my smaller breweries get in trouble because they don't want to fire somebody. They they like them. They want to give them another chance. They, you know, and and that is a wonderful thing. But a lot of times you just basically have a become a habitual problem employee, which becomes even harder to um to let go of and to get rid of without having other problems come back on the business. But Laura, what are your key thoughts on this topic? Um, I was just thinking one, something Larry said kind of made sense to me and, and kind of rattled a, a space for me in terms of of learning to let go of your own preconceived notion of how something has to be done. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked a lot it, just in a leadership space about trying to share the goal of where we want to get to and being a lot more flexible of how we get there and giving people that autonomy to to think through the problem themselves and find their own creative ways outside of the box I create um, to get that accomplished. And while I don't want that to get in the way of the, you're, you're really not doing it well, 
Um, and so, so you need to go. Um, I, I think that as, as leaders, I think the more autonomy we can give and the more transparency we have in our own struggles or our own challenges or our own goals, I think the better we do as a team. And I think that reflects back to, to what both Matt and Larry were talking about and, and celebrating everybody's victories, like the successes of the team, the successes of us each individually and the growth of, of everybody as we go. I think that the more we can champion each other and cheerlead each other, the better we do. But we have to be open to to share that what's not going well. So that, I don't know, that's the transparency piece, I guess, just that open communication. Mm-hmm. Back to where we started, right, Larry? Communication. Communication. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Thank you both so much for joining us. Um, so a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us now and in the future for episode 17, Operational Strategy 2, People, of the Start a Brewery podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode, 18, which moves us into the numbers with setting goals. This new episode will be released during the earliest hour of Tuesday, August 29th. We have a final wrap-up word from our sponsor. Ready to earn additional revenue by offering up a flat parking space? Signing up with Harvest Hosts is a slam dunkle. The sign-up process is simple, and you can start accepting RVers within a week. There is no cost to be a host, and no hookups are required to get started. Hosts can accept or deny stay requests using text or email, control the number and size of RVs, and manage their own calendar of availability. Visit harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts or reach their team at listings at harvesthosts.com. While you're anticipating the release of our next episode, feel free to visit the Started Brewery website at startedbrewery.com, a free resource for those who are looking to open or grow their breweries. Be sure to look through the task lists offered for each stage of the process. There's one in plan, act, open, and grow, at the educational resources, and at the offerings from our savvy contributors in our growing library. You can also sign up for an occasional electronic update with a new Starter Brewery contributor list, content, events, and more great information on the contact page of the website. We also encourage you to explore the All About Beer website at allaboutbeer.com. Perhaps pop in to enjoy one of their excellent podcasts as well. In the meantime, this has been Laura Lodge and Candace Moon wishing you a terrific day and thanking you once again for joining us on our podcast journey to start a brewery.